Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Svelte Radio. Yay! Woo! It's uh, it's almost Svelte Summit time. Um, but before we uh, get into into the episode, um, maybe a short status update. What what have you guys been up to, Sean, Anthony? Uh, yeah, for me, we are working on shipping our TypeScript SDK at work. It will be the best <laughs> um, long-running work job library in JavaScript, by our opinion. And also, we're working on a Svelte app at, uh, for our UI. So that's what's going on. Nice. Um, so Beyond got funded. Um, so basically, it means I can hire people, hired a bunch of people, uh, a lot from the Svelte community, which has been awesome. And now we're just working on converting everything to SvelteKit. Which is, of course, awesome. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I've been mostly working on Svelte Summit. Um, it's just two weeks away. Yeah, two weeks away. And uh, yeah, that's it. Got my appendix removed. It's exciting. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, so uh, we have a guest today. It's uh, none other than uh, Rich Harris. Welcome. Hey, so uh, what's up? Well, I, I do have a status update. I am Ooh. currently between jobs. I'm fun employed. <gasps> oh no, do you so, need work? <laughs> do you need us to put out a call for you? <laughs> I, have, I have spent the week doing all of the, the personal admin that gets overlooked when, <laughs> when you're working a 40 hour plus week. Like uh, I went and got a, a filling the other day. Wow. Um, not quite as dramatic as having my appendix removed, but it was st still a first. Very exciting. Still a procedure. I've been um, <laughs> cleaning the flat, which is always very cathartic. Actually, we um, we hired a cleaner for the first time a, a, a while back on the, the recommendation of a friend because that's what uh, childless 30-something couples do in New York. It, it turns out, um, and, and she came around and did a fantastic job. The flat was absolutely spotless. But then ever since then, we're like, we, we may as well just wait for the cleaner to come back. And so we've gone completely feral. Yeah. And so the, the flat is far, far dirtier than at any point before we had a cleaner. And, and so I spent, I spent a large part of my week off trying to rectify that. Um, bought some new shoes. Yeah. We used to hire it. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, we used to hire a cleaner as well. And then the new Mac came out and my wife wanted it. So she fired the cleaner and bought the Mac. And now the house is dirty, but she's got a shiny Mac. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's just like upsetting the equilibrium. It really does. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess that's exciting. So uh, Wait, I want to hear about the shoes. There was some shoes mentioned oh, quickly. Oh, All right. Oh, yeah. It's just oh. another one of these things that I hadn't got around to doing because I've, I've, I've been too busy. My shoes had giant holes in them. Uh, and, 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 and now they don't. It's great. That sounds Just like my uh, my girlfriend. She she really uses her shoes until they're like completely destroyed. That's this, it's very this is glamorous. It's the glamorous life of OSS maintenance, right? Yeah, this is what this is. <laughs> All right. So you uh, you're leaving the New York Times then, right? For how long have you been there? Um, I so I joined the Times in May 2017. So I was there for about four and a half years, plus or minus, which is actually the longest I've ever been in one uh, one one place throughout my career. 
Not that it feels like it. I feel like time accelerates as you get older. And so the, the last four and a half years have absolutely zipped by. Um, but it, it came to an end last week. Although, um, like technically, I, I didn't end until yesterday. But I took my last week as vacation. Mm. Um, and then I started everything on Monday. Did you have any uh, rituals when you leave? Uh, yeah, there's, so there's, there's the, the ritual leaving roast um, which happens uh, because of the pandemic. Obviously, like, we don't do these things in the office anymore, but we had a really nice little leaving do in Brooklyn Bridge Park. And the members of the department that are based in New York came down and, you know, we had some some pizza and some beers and, uh, and shared some jokes. A, a tradition in newsrooms is when someone's leaving, they get a mock front page with stories about them, <laughs> like sort of roasting them. Um, in my case, they didn't do a front page. They did a mock coronavirus tracker, <laughs> and, and it's and it was it was so beautifully done. So what's what's on? <laughs> it's just like just, uh, just taking the piss out of me for, yeah. for two A three pages, and then you know had a had a little virtual uh, leaving do on on my last day in the office in the quote unquote office, and then that was it. Yep. Um, is this yeah. is this mock coronavirus tracker? Are you going to make it public, or is it just uh, what stays in Vegas kind of thing? <laughs> what, what was that? Sorry. Well, is it going to be a public thing at no, some no, point, no, no. or are you just going to keep nah. it? It's the old ball <laughs> secret. What stays all, in Vegas? Department in jokes and stuff. <laughs> Shame. Cool. So that's good. You've been there for a while, right? So, any any kind of particular stories that that you've worked on that stand out? through the years? There's a few. Um, so I, I joined the investigations team initially and I was with that team for about, oh, let me see, probably about three years. And so most of the time that I was there, I was working on these big investigative pieces. And when you're working in that kind of environment, you, you publish like one or two things a year. So whereas many of my colleagues are publishing things like every other week, I only actually have a, a fairly small number of bylines to my name. But some of those investigative pieces stick out. There was, a, I think the first really big piece that we did was called The Follower Factory. And it was a piece about how celebrities and politicians and people like that were buying fake Twitter followers. And we, we did some, like we spent a lot of time abusing the Twitter API to get as much data as we could to show that like you can find these fake accounts using sort of quasi statistical methods. And as a result, Twitter um, took millions of bots off its accounts. They were sort of shamed into doing it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, I did uh, some graphics for uh, some pieces that my, my coworkers did. There was one about the surveillance economy of how companies will use the like the free apps on your phone like you'll install a weather app and it needs to have access to your location and then it just like sells your location to whoever wants to buy it and there are these companies that have these incredibly detailed maps of where uh where you've been and like in theory it's all anonymized but we, we were able to show that you can de-anonymize people really easily and we produced this um, this this map of of New York City that was entirely composed of like the dots of GPS traces from from people's phones, and it's incredible the amount of detail that you can see when when you have 
this data. Like you can see the traffic getting backed up, going in and out of the Lincoln Tunnel. You can see the the footpaths going through the park that are less used and all of this stuff. And it was kind of scary just seeing it visualized like that. Like the the amount that these companies know about all of this is is horrifying. It's kind of like uh, when you go into like I don't know if you guys been into like the Google dashboard and you take a look at like your location history. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm imagining it looking like. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind if I was the only person who had access to that data, but it's it, it's right. it's just not the case, and it is it is a little yeah. creepy. Um, of course, for the for the last eighteen months, my work has mostly been focused on the coronavirus tracker that the Times put out. Um, and that's been a large part of my life. Um, although I think the the most fun project that I've done during my tenure at the Times was our Olympics coverage. We produced these little videos of um, little blue Lego people swimming and, and running uh, because we weren't allowed to use the footage <laughs> from the games themselves because like NBC have a lock on, oh. on the broadcast rights. Right. Um, and so we, we, we did these sort of cute little data visualizations. Um, and that was... That's a nice work. That was, yeah, it was an incredibly fun project to work on. Um, and it, it was a SvelteKit app as well. It was another opportunity to use SvelteKit at work, which is always good dog fooding. I know that some, someone mentioned, uh, you know, I can't remember it was on Discord or something. Since you're leaving uh, the New York Times, do you think that the New York Times will continue to use felt, or will your colleagues sort of resent you when they use next or something? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so that, that's the kind of in joke that was on that. <laughs> that, that leaving roast is like everyone's going to start using React now. Um, I, so I, I, I'm pretty confident that, um, that it's kind of bedded in at this point. So the, the graphics publishing workflow is being overhauled at the moment. And as part of that, there's a new, we call it the interactive server that's being written in SvelteKit. Um, the new election app is, I understand it going to be written in SvelteKit, or at least the election pages themselves are going to be written in Svelte. And it's, it's got a pretty good toehold in the department as a whole now. At first, it was like it's very difficult to convince uh, journalists to learn new technical skills. <laughs> I found because, like, <laughs> most people working in that environment aren't doing so because they really love JavaScript, right? They're doing so because, um, right. you know, JavaScript is a tool that allows you to do different forms of journalism. And like yeah. learning how to configure Webpack and all of that stuff. It's like, it's the last thing on anyone's priority list. And so when I came along um, into the department and started building everything with Svelte, people just like looked at me like a, like a weirdo. Uh, but then gradually, like <laughs> as I would work on projects with other people and they could see the benefit of building user interfaces declaratively um, rather than doing things with jQuery and, and like Lodash templates and whatever. Um, g- gradually people sort of got on on the Svelte train. And now, like, a, a lot of people have sort of said, I, I, I refuse to build things any other way than with Svelte. And so even though it's not like wow. we don't have standards, I, I keep saying we, and I shouldn't say they, uh, which is very Ooh. sad. Um, the, the department doesn't yeah. have, like, standards. There's, there's no like, mandates about what technology you use when you're building stuff. Um, and so people are absolutely free to do whatever they want. It's become a, a little bit of a a standard for uh for some people in the department so i'm pretty confident that it's going to continue being used yeah cool nice so are you uh 
Are you staying in uh, New York? Are you? Uh, I am going to move somewhere. Yeah, or? no, I, yeah. I, I really like nice. it here. Um, the job that I'm going to is remote first, so I'm just going to be a, a work from home person permanently. <laughs> nice. Um, and that's and that's where you discover whether you are a work from home person. No, you, I well, I, 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 that's pretty established at this point because, like, w when we all got sent home at the beginning of like, you know, March last year, I was a little worried. Like, I for for two weeks is like great. This is kind of like a quasi holiday sort of thing. Two weeks is going to be great, but then when it dawned on us that it's not going to be two weeks, that this is our lives now. At first, I was very trepidatious about the whole thing. I thought that, you know, everyone's going to turn into a recluse. We're going to forget how to converse and, and, and whatever. And in actual fact, I, I've discovered that I really like working from home. I am very worried about what working from home being the norm means for society at large. I think that it's a fraying yeah. of the social fabric that is going to have deep and long-lasting consequences. But for me personally, at my stage in life, I bloody love it. I love being able to roll out of bed five minutes before I'm supposed to clock on and have a productive day's work, feed myself well, get time for a workout, do some chores, take the laundry out, whatever. And then I, I still don't have to commute home in the evening. For me, it's just a dramatically better quality of life. I agree a hundred percent. And I think for most people, it kind of is the same, but my concern is for the younger people who have never worked in an office and go into an environment where people don't work in offices, you do lose a lot of the social side of things. Um, yeah. You say that, like, you know, you were worried about people losing their social skills and stuff. I, I definitely did to an extent. And, and I've been very social before. I've been, I'm a nightmare in offices. I just talk a lot and distract people, imagine. right? And um, <laughs> working at home probably was a massive relief for everybody. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, is, what's happened is that, you know, when I go out now, I've forgotten how to like, drink for one so i just get drunk really quickly <laughs> i've also forgotten how to like talk to people about reasonable things that they're interested in and they're looking at me like some kind of alien it's actually a really <laughs> weird thing so i i think i kind of share your fear a little bit just from experience <laughs> from personal experience yeah yeah i kind of i kind of want something like a hybrid thing that would probably be the best for, yeah. for me like choice, a, a choice one or I two guess. days at the office and then yeah it's difficult though something, because something like that yeah, I think it's difficult because you have to have like allocated seating. You have to have yeah. property and, and rent to pay and stuff on, on an office. So Definitely. I guess it's something we've got to yet develop. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, any other questions for Rich before we oh, move on? Oh, uh, I have one more New York Times questions, uh, question, which is that there seems to be phases in terms of the New York Times JavaScript output. So there was the Mike Bostock phase and then there was the Rich Harris phase who's the next JavaScript up-and-comer that we should be watching out for? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to name any individuals <laughs> in case people are interested. Um, Massive pressure. Uh, I mean, all, all I'll say is that the department has, like, an incredible bench. Like, there's, there's so much depth of talent on that team. And there's, there's always new people coming into the times and there's people like coming from other areas of the times and getting more involved in graphics, like the amount of programming skill that that department has access to is, is really humbling. Um, so I, I don't know, but I'm excited to find out like what, what that, like what the next few years, uh, bring 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to trap you into like naming one person. I. I don't. <laughs> I think it's fascinating how much technology did, comes out of New York Times. You know. Yeah. I mean, I. I. I think it's. It's because everything is, a little bit kind of freeform in a newsroom. Like everything is, is very very based on, pragmatics. Um. You know, if if something isn't practical, then, no one's interested. So there's there's like very little sort of, ivory tower stuff that happens in an environment like that and there's also no sort of structure determining like who gets to work on open source stuff or anything like that so you know i've I've said it for a long time and i will continue saying it a a newsroom is i think one of the best places that you can hope to be a developer like the opportunities that you'll get to do interesting work are pretty unrivaled awesome Right. So, uh, so why'd you leave? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what's what's next? Tell us. Um, when is this? When is this going out? This episode. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll se- I'll send it in for editing uh, probably later today, and then we'll probably be out on I don't know Wednesday, Thursday. And who are the editors? We need to name the editors in case it's a leak and then we get the name. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, so by, by the time this episode goes well, uh, live, I you, will have been working at Vassell for the previous few days. Woo! I am joining Vassell as of Monday, and I'm joining to work on Svelte full time. Amazing! Wow. That is exciting. So, what what does that actually mean? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I mean, I really don't know. <laughs> I so you know, I've I've had I've had some really good conversations with um, Shermo, the CEO of the company, and also Lindsay, who's the, the VP of engineering, um, about like what what things are going to look like. But you know, I, I really don't think you can tell what uh, things are actually going to work like and, until you get your feet under the desk. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about Monday. I'm excited about seeing how the company works together. I'm excited about like seeing what it's going to mean to have a full-time person working on Svelte, uh, I think it's a great situation. The context yeah. of Vassell, obviously, the interesting context here, because not everybody knows Vassell or who they are, um, is that they created and own Next.js, which would be probably the biggest direct competitor to SvelteKit. You know, Nuxt as well, but probably just the biggest. I mean, I, I don't know that I would uh, call them competitors necessarily ju- just because sure. of the vast disparity in in user base like next is the 800 pound gorilla it's it is completely <laughs> dominating in terms of um of usage like i i th- i feel like most people if if you're building a react application especially if you're starting a new react application you're probably going to reach for next because it has become this sort of de facto yeah standard it is the way that you build react apps and react is obviously so much bigger than svelte that it would feel absurd for me to say that svelte is a competitor to next i i would sure. i would use a word like alternative or you alternative. Know. <laughs> well yeah I, I suppose i suppose by competitor alternative is what i mean it's it's not it's not like there's no money involved in, in there's money involved in next but not so much in svelte right. so it's more like if you're building a web app, you choose one of three main main things, I guess, really. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that this is honestly cool. part of the appeal of being able to work at Vassell is like having access to the next team because the the work that they've been able to do and like the, the muscle that they're putting behind things like SWC and all of this other stuff, um, Next.js Live is this incredible piece of work. Like being in the room, albeit virtually, where those ideas are being thrashed out, I think is also going to be hugely beneficial to Svelte because, you know, a lot of those ideas we're probably going to want to steal. I mean, the idea for SvelteKit itself is, <laughs> let's be honest, very largely stolen from, from Next. Um, Next wasn't the first uh, framework to have the idea of file system-based routing for a React app, but it was, I think, the first successful implementation of that idea. And Sapper, SvelteKit's predecessor, was very explicitly inspired by Next. And SvelteKit was you know part of the reason that we that we kind of mothballed sapper and worked on SvelteKit instead is because next had shown the value of having this kind of hybrid capability where some parts of your app are static and some parts are dynamic and having this sort of serverless first approach is something that we weren't able to to put into sapper so you know at multiple points in in svelte development we've been directly inspired by Next. And I think this is kind of a fitting evolution of that. Sounds very nice. Cool. I would say also one of the founding philosophies of Next.js and also actually React itself is that there are some DX niceties from PHP that we wanted to bring back. And so obviously like the file-based routing was directly inspired. And actually, arguably... Svelte is closer to that PHP sort of enhanced HTML to to get what you want ideal than Next.js is. I would be interested to see you explore that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very excited about the direction that SvelteKit is going in at the moment. Like, I, I know that we've been sort of promising 1.0 just around the corner for a long time, but um, <laughs> it really is shaping up into something that I, I personally find to be a delight to use. I feel very productive when I'm using SvelteKit. Um, and, and I think it's going to be like a, a really sort of intuitive way for people to build apps. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that taking things back to the, those basics is always a good way to, to think about design questions. Yeah. So what will this mean for, for uh, Svelte as a project? Like. Are you shuffling things around in, in the org? or No, I mean, so, so the organization remains as it is. Svelte will continue to be a fully independent project, like com completely open source. It's not going to be like Svelte by Vassell or anything like that. Um, I, the, the way that I think about it is, <laughs> um, you know, v Vassell, because they have customers who use Svelte, because, um, you know, it's in there, they, they talk about being the SDK for the web and, and, like that means not being fully React centric. Um, you know, th they see it as being in their interests, and I don't want to put words into Gashemo's mouth or anything like that because I'll I'll probably get things wrong. But it, essentially, the way that I see it is, it's in Vassell's interests uh, for Svelte to be as good as possible, and they are essentially sponsoring Svelte's development by paying me to work on it. So that's how I'm thinking about this. They're not taking ownership of the project or anything like that. Um, they're, they're just putting real resources behind it, which to me feels like a, a really good model for, uh, for funding open source generally. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we still have this very robust and opinionated core team who work in all different environments. We've got, uh, you know, the, the sort of Bionk-style startups represented. We've got um, Cloudflare represented because Luke Edwards is there. Um, we've got people from so many different backgrounds and environments that the, the sort of independent spirit of Svelte, I think, is, is pretty well entrenched at this point. Nice. That's good to hear. So your uh, your first week, what will uh, what will it look like? I guess you don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Um, I so I, I have a I have an invitation to an onboarding session. So I, I have a I have an invitation to an onboarding session, Eastern time. So I'm I'm wondering oh. if like my my day is going to be sort of uh, oriented around Pacific time, which will be great for me because I'm always a, a slow to get started in the mornings. <laughs> but beyond that, beyond having that first onboarding session, I have I have absolutely no idea. Um, talked a little bit with um, with my my new boss about like some uh, some ongoing projects at Vassell that would be like beneficial from an onboarding perspective for me to have some involvement in. But I, you know, ask me that question in in a month and we'll <laughs> see how things are shaken yeah. out. I, I will say so. I right. worked for Netlify out of New York. So I had the East Coast working for West Coast uh, thing, and it's it's amazing. You come in so prepared to every meeting because you had like two three hours heads up before that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then then you're you're working three hours later than everyone else as well. Well, you know, <laughs> you don't have to have meetings <laughs> that late. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so if if you. Uh, if you don't know what you're going to work on, so like, what are some things in Kit or Svelte that you want to like work on? Anything in, that stands out that needs some? Anything that stands out. I mean, I it, it's no secret that I've been a little bit detached from the day to day maintenance of of both Svelte and Kit lately. So as a starting point, I need to look through the existing open pull requests on Kit and and like just go through those and, and address some of those. I think the highest priority is getting SvelteKit to a stable 1.0. And we've, you know, we don't want to set a date on that. It's not going to be ready for Svelte Summit. I can say that much. Um, yep. But I, I would like to devote the bulk of my time towards getting that done. Other things that I'm quite keen on spending some time on, I would like to get uh, Svelte 3, which is not like Svelte version 3, but Svelte-3, which is a component library that wraps 3JS, allows you to build 3D scene graphs declaratively. Built that for that Olympics project that I was referring to before. And it's kind of like Svelte's answer to React 3 Fiber. And I would love to get some documentation and examples built for that so that people can actually start using it for real. And then I, I guess once those things are done, it's time to start thinking about the future of Svelte itself. We have a little roadmap of things that we're sort of thinking about for Svelte 4. But you know, there's a lot of open PRs and issues on that repo that that could use some love before we start getting too grandiose in our ambitions. But we do have a lot of ambitions. That's good, because <laughs> there are. Uh, I'm sh I'm sure uh, there are like a couple of RFCs that are merged that need some uh, like Plenty like some features that aren't yeah. aren't there yet that are coming. I think also Ben Ben takes on a lot of the kind of um, Ben McCann. This is takes on a lot of the. Uh, day-to-day -day reviewing and merging and stuff himself. And he's saying that 
as it grows in popularity, it's almost like whack-a-mole. You know, the, the, <laughs> the new issues, the new, the new PRs start coming up quicker than you can actually close them and merge them, which is... Uh, so it's good to have multiple people on that, That's I think. Good problem to have, I guess. Yeah, I mean, sure. yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, Ben is an absolute hero, but he's also... Like he has, <laughs> as a young child, and you know, can I, also has you know his own life and his own job, and so can't devote like an in, you know full time hours to to squashing these PRs. Yeah, like, and, like anybody. Yeah, so. exactly. And so, what, what my hope is that is that we're going to be able to trend like the at the moment like. Th- PRs and issues are being opened faster than we can close them, essentially. And my hope is very much that by me being there full time, we're going to be able to, to reverse that. And I'm not expecting that we're going to be able to like blitz through them immediately. But just as long as the trend is going in the right direction, then as a team, I think we will feel less on the back foot, less overwhelmed by our inability to service the the issues that are, that are coming into the repo. Um We've also we're also switching to using GitHub discussions, which I think is probably going to help us be be a little bit more organised. Yeah, that's that's definitely it. That's like a a controversial opinion. We had a lot of sort of discussions about that previously, and it's interesting that we've now gone towards it. Yeah, I think that's going to like help on the Discord as well. People asking questions. Hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> I guess I guess one of the hardest problems right now is like determining what makes it into 1.0, what becomes 1.0, and that's that's the thing that's quite hard to solve. I think. Speaking of uh, 1.0, we we talked a bit about it. So what's needed for it to to actually get to 1, 1.0? I'm opening the the repo now, so I can look at the, the PRs. <laughs> uh, You're going to get a list of bugs. <laughs> the now. sheet sheet. <laughs> list of issues. <laughs> yeah. So we we have because it's it's almost like a moving target. Yeah, we have twenty four open PRs, and some of these I have absolutely no context for for what they are. Like register custom service worker for AMP. That's very interesting. I didn't know that um, that that was a thing. There's some preliminary <laughs> internationalization work. There's some like chore type stuff, like improving our test suite, making it less flaky. So I think those will be easy merges. The the stuff that's that's always hard to merge is um, anytime you have things that change the API in some way. Um, it's it's often very difficult as a contributor to make um, API changes that will end up getting merged because there's often some reason that things are the way they are and things like a reason that things aren't the way they're not. And, and those reasons aren't always articulated or expressed very clearly because they're sort of in the maintainer's heads. Um, and so Th- those are those are always the hardest PRs because they sort of force you to articulate those previously unarticulated things, and that involves having sometimes a fairly lengthy discussion about pros and cons. Um, and it, and it's one of those things where, like, it's really important to be diplomatic because the rationale for the the PR is is always good. It's always you know here's a thing like a problem that could be fixed in this way, and you have to sort of come back and say yes, but actually we should do it this other way and that means that your problem isn't going to get solved for another few weeks and that's always that's always tough an example at the moment that we're having is around server-side rendering because if you import something into your component that will not work in a, a node environment or a serverless environment then your app will just crash because even though you've said uh 
this page doesn't need to be server-side rendered. In order to determine that, SvelteKit currently has to import that page, the component for that page, inspect it and say, oh, we're not going to bother server-side rendering it. But by that point, you've already imported the broken module and, and so the app crashes. And so like one way to do that is to have an option that just disables server-side rendering across the app, in, entire application. And we think that that has too many negative consequences because uh, you know, server-side rendering is something that should in general be enabled for most of your application, we think. And so like we need to have a debate about an API that will allow you to disable server-side rendering truly and not like have that problem with things being loaded that shouldn't be, but that gives you that sort of granularity. And it's, it's tough. There's always so many trade-offs involved in these things. Um, and those are the things that sort of stretch out the time before you can cut a stable release is like, you actually need to build consensus around these things. If we weren't interested in having consensus and having people understand the decisions that we're making and agree with the decisions that we're making, then it would probably be fairly easy. We could just like riffle through the PRs, close the things that we think are bugs um, very quickly and just declare it done. But that's, that's not really how we like to operate. So that's why it's taking long is that we have, um, like we have this sort of organic community centric uh, approach to, to, to building the framework. Um, and it, it takes time. I think it's, it's also like, yeah, it's, get, it's getting things right because uh, another example is the, is the error boundary, uh, error boundaries. So there's already a working component. It's kind of community driven. Um, we have a discussion, we have an RFC open about how it should work, but there's no consensus on how that API should look. We could just go with what's there now and see how it goes and then do another one later. But that one of the reasons that, for instance, I like Svelte so much is because it, you do things kind of one way and that way is is the way that works and is correct and it's future-proof. And a lot of other libraries have, have gone in a different direction to that and they have different ways of doing the same thing. And whilst that's fine and maybe they deliver these things quicker, it adds confusion for new users and people can join a team using this framework or that framework and not know the way that they that they as a team use that framework is different to how they've used it in the past. Either it's an older way or a new way or something like that. So I think it, it really pays off in, in the longer run, even though it may look like we're delaying and, and sort of bike shedding in the short term, that these decisions are made correctly and the API is solidified in the best possible way, given strengths at the time. Um, yeah, people dramatically yeah. underestimate the difficulty of changing API once it's shipped and overestimate the difficulty yeah. of changing implementation details. And it's, it's better to get the right API and the wrong implementation than the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. All right, any, any other questions before we move on to Svelte Summit? No, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, congratulations yes, on the job. Yes. <laughs> really exciting. Yep, extremely. Uh, so Svelte Summit is two weeks away. And that's exciting. Uh, we have close to fifty talks. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Um, but we're we're not going to show all of them at the event, unfortunately. There, there, there's not enough time. Um, <laughs> we don't want a twenty-four hour uh, event. Well, actually, that could be kind of fun at some, at some point. So we're gonna we're gonna host like a couple of mini events every week after. So on Wednesdays is the plan for now. I'm going to host where I'll probably show like five or six uh, talks each week. I didn't get into the main event, kind of, if that makes sense. So that's exciting. We have 
the music by a guy called Fractal. He also did the music to Svelte Radio. That's cool. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of interest in Svelte Summit this time around. I've noticed like compared to last time, it's it's just nuts. Svelte must have grown so much since last, <laughs> like since April, which is super exciting. I guess uh, I guess we can talk a bit about the the watch parties, right? booked something yeah uh i went ahead and <laughs> uh booked we we really wanted to book 61 local which is the bar that svelte was launched but they're still not open for some weird reason um <laughs> and so we're, we're booking something next door uh i haven't been to this place but i sent them a, a lot of money <laughs> so so we'll hopefully oh. <laughs> have a have a nice uh, nice time uh yeah so if you're in new york or uh, the u.s east coast uh, you're totally Welcome to sign up. We'll probably put something in the show description, um, or you could just hit me up. And yeah, we'll you know, Rich will be there. I think Ishmael is coming uh, together with some Vercel people, and it will just be a felt party. I, I think the the idea is basically that I wanted to ease us back into some kind of in person thing. Uh, eventually, we want to have an in person felt summit. Maybe Sweden, maybe Singapore. I don't know, because the SRF S. Yeah, very important. Uh, but <laughs> but I thought I thought New York would be the easiest <laughs> to start with and, and like a small event. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I think it's it's a nice venue, and it's a great neighborhood, and people should come and hang out. It's in like the the middle of the day, right? It's like twelve till four, I think. Twelve, twelve, oh, because so, yeah. uh, because we have to sync with the rest of the world if we want to make this work. Exactly. So yeah, Kev, I, I think it's what time is it? Your time? Uh, four or five GMT, we'll something like that. Yeah. yeah, so it's something like that. Um, I'll have to check. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the event goes until like nine or 10 or 11. I, I don't, I don't quite remember. I, sh I should know this. It's well, we, we said, away. yeah, we said, we said four <laughs> hours and, you know, we'll, we'll just pick yeah. some talks that kind of fit in that time frame. But yeah, one of the, one of exactly. the things that we really wanted to do was we hated getting people to apply for Salt Summit and then having to reject them and actually not knowing it's kind of like a weird, this traditional cutoff point is arbitrary because it dates back to when we had in-person conferences. And when we have uh, online conferences, the shelf is infinite. And actually, we should think about moving back the, the cutoff point further uh, into like, let's let's have people submit videos and if they're if it's good uh, you know if, if it's if it's worth featuring within that four hour period uh then let's do that but then also we don't want to you know we want to recognize the the other talks as well so uh, we have a youtube and we have you know so many exactly. so many people interested in talking about as well we should feature them yeah that was a good idea um for sure yeah i guess that's that's it about svelte summit uh in two weeks well so uh uh, so there's also German Germany party. Um, I I bet I bet there I bet there's going to be others because people are going to uh, want to get together. I just think it's a really nice thing to get together in person and talk Svelte, build relationships that are based on Svelte, but then also you can talk about other stuff. And I think that's that's just really the fun part about community for me, which is always like my goal with like starting Svelte events and stuff like that. I, I think. I think Richard also agrees, like, there's just something to get about getting in person that you don't get online. So the German uh, watch party, uh, I'm not entirely sure about the status there, but I think Dominic uh, is kind of sort of organizing that or helping out yeah. at least. So if if you're in Germany, you should probably reach out to him or, or join the, the, the German Svelte Society Discord. Yeah. 
there's 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 a German Discord. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just generally, is, if you're is. organizing one, just uh, get in touch with us. Let us know uh, so we can get people to you. Exactly. Uh, I think yeah. the well, something that we we serve as is Fell Society is that we're a central point that people can find each other. All right. So next year, I'm sort of thinking about maybe trying to get a an in person event going. I'm probably going to call it Svelte Summit Summer Edition something. Um, and I'm in my head. I'm I'm kind of imagining like a retro '80s vibe thing, which would be pretty cool. So I'm currently looking at venues over here in Stockholm, um, which is probably the easiest for me as an organizer to to sort out, rather than having to like travel around the world and uh, checking out places all over. But nothing is uh, set in stone, so. We'll see. Probably in August, and uh, yeah, more info after after the the fall event, of course. Wow, this is real now. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to, for like a real, like proper in person Svelte Summit. It's it's. Uh, I've been longing for one for like over a year, so I'm very excited. Yeah, that'll be fun. All right. Any anything else? Um. I think it's an open secret. There's just a documentary going on. Yeah. Should, should we talk about <laughs> oh, that? Oh, yeah. Or should we edit yeah. this out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the... Um, I think you let the cat out of the bag, Sean, when it's you included it in the in the invite to the did. watch party. <laughs> <laughs> I had to warn, I had Wait, to warn people because yeah. we were planning it. had to do because, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I don't know for certain that the crew is going to be there for for the watch party. Maybe you do. Maybe you've had a conversation with them about yes. that. But yes, they are. Oh, okay, they they are going to be there. Um, yeah. So the the same people that, not the same company, but the people who work for the company that made the documentaries about Ember and View and GraphQL and various other things, they're now making a documentary about Svelte. Apparently, it was uh, highly requested, and so I believe they've already interviewed a bunch of people i think they interviewed you anthony yeah I've, yeah and, they did and they you also they've well. done a few yeah yeah a few countries have done in europe i think um, I, yeah I they're, they're based yet. in europe so yeah they're they're just doing the new york ones yeah later. yeah there was some some visa thing they couldn't get in to the u.s before now um and i i think they had a lot of trouble Getting to London is fact as well. Uh, so a, they, I think everything's been just fraught with with visas and problems like yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> a lot of effort's gone. So I'm, I'm getting a, a tiny bit of an insight into the logistics involved in producing a documentary. And I mean, I, <laughs> I thought conferences seemed hard, but this this seems this <laughs> yeah, is wild. Same. <laughs> um, so anyway, I I believe yeah, that, choose to do uh, that they're coming out here next weekend to shove a camera in my face, which I'm absolutely dreading. <laughs> but I, I, I can't exactly not be in the Svelte documentary. So <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it could be the um, unauthorized uh, Svelte documentary. This. Like this did not have the participation <laughs> yeah. of the Svelte creators. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of setup for cameras and stuff, and yeah. it's really fascinating to watch. It is yeah. uh, all the lighting concerns and everything else like that, because it, it shows. If you watch these documentaries, apparently the budget's even better this yeah, time. Yeah, they got but they got funding. If you watch the previous documentaries that they've produced, it's I mean it's cr- like it's crazy the amount of effort they put into to making that picture look good and stuff. You know, there's only so much they can do about me, but you know, whatever. The point <laughs> so, is, like, did, did they, the, the environment did you looks makeup? great. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did did a four hours of makeup. Uh, just I shared it. No, I'm joking. They didn't. Like, yeah, I, I didn't do any <laughs> makeup. Am I just naturally? No, I just woke up like this. <laughs> I think that's what it is. No, they didn't. They didn't do makeup. They they drew the line at makeup. They yeah. Uh, the, what the, what we did do was spend ages adjusting my hue lights in here to be the right level of white. Which is which I think is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really it's really interesting. Like it's that important to be the right the right shade of white, oh the right temperature. <laughs> oh, <that's> <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I thought at least. Whoa. Very yeah, it was. very weird in a way. <laughs> yes. Intimidating in, in a way, but also yeah. I mean I suppose it's I mean, you know, everything is really uh, it's it's just a life experience. I'm looking forward to it. I've never had this this level yeah. of uh, yeah. professionalism in sort of video videography so i'm curious to see what they do with us <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right should we uh, move on to uh, unpopular opinions all right let's anthony always has one so I see, I see. Anthony just calls I them do. opinions. It's true. They're, it's true. They're it's popular. <laughs> they're just opinion. Yeah, every, every opinion is popular. Uh, so my unpopular opinion this week is that Docs, which is like the Mac OS X Doc and the Ubuntu Doc and every other every other Doc ever, even the Start menu thing that Windows has, I don't understand why they exist. I think that I think on Mac it's called Spotlight, but for me it's like the Windows and Space key. And it brings up like an overview. You can type programs and you run them. That for me is how you run programs. You switch with Alt Tab or you just hit again the Windows key, whatever the Meta key on the keyboard, and it brings up an overview of all the windows and you choose one. So what's the dock for apart from like losing half of your really expensive Retina monitor? I can't see the purpose of that being there. It gets in the way. It takes up space. I just I never got it, and I was actually really I'm a massive fan of GNOME three. I've used it for a long time. And I like it because it's minimalist. There's nothing taking up space on the screen. It's just one little tiny bar at the top with a time on it. And for some reason, Ubuntu decided to put the, uh, the dock in there. And all it is is a hindrance. And I, I have to run a program every time I install Ubuntu to remove it again. Because it's just it's, I never, ever touch it. It's just taking up my expensive monitor space. So, so my basic my opinion is, why on earth do people have docks? What do people use them for? Um, <laughs> I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like the dock, but more as a Why? as like a visual thing. So, it looks nice, yeah, right? So it's a, it's a get a sticker, get a sticker, and stick on your laptop. <laughs> well, you can you can kind of see like which programs are active. I guess I don't know. But, Why is that important? I don't know. <laughs> I can see everyone thinking like, "What about you, dock?" I, for? I use <laughs> it for for minimized applications. <laughs> like if I have a bunch of Chrome windows and I want to minimize one of them, like keep it out of the way if I'm doing a screen recording or something. Uh, I put it there. Also, I have no idea how to access it. my trash folder other than via the dock. But everything else, I, I totally agree. Get rid of it. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. I just can't be bothered to well, it. So, so, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so, so trash is like a, on mine, it's just like a folder in the, in the you know, file system and you can just empty it. But minimize Windows, if I, if I hit the meta key, all my minimize Windows also show in that overview and if I hit it again, they'll disappear and they're still minimized. But they're not like they're not on my screen at some point, you know, taking up space when I'm when I'm using my machine in full screen, I guess. Yeah, I maybe it's different. I, on Mac. I, I agree know with you, which um, makes me think that this opinion is not unpopular. <laughs> not, not unpopular. <laughs> Just an what opinion. Is, it's unpopular enough that 
Mac Mac have one like and and Ubuntu insisted on having one and I don't know why and 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 the new Windows Eleven apparently is just like Mac OS. It's got a dock in the middle rather than a a start bar or something. So it's, it it has to be somewhat unpopular. Well, it it does look nice. That's probably it. Yes, thanks. It probably Ken. sells computers. I'll, I'll buy you a sticker. I'll print you a little sticker with a dock <laughs> on it. <laughs> oh, I I was so jealous of the of the documentary people they 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 had svelte stickers and i ha- i don't have svelte stickers oh yeah yeah oh yeah. i think i, think I may have some out. we should probably yeah. consider well, you could just print your own i mean merchandising just at some point the, the logos on there yeah but you, you end up with tattoos Ooh. oh is oh nice is this oh. an audio only podcast or is um is the yeah, recording video it, it is unfortunately okay it's and so i'll, I'll have uh, to no. describe it for for my um for my leaving view from the times <laughs> um a, a friend made these uh black metal svelte tattoos um, and we all put them on our hands um one That's guy cool. put it on his forehead because because he's like that why not yeah of course you <laughs> <laughs> walk around with it for the next few days if you don't go to the watch party covered in those <laughs> i'll be disappointed um i guess right, my Sean. turn so i don't know how popular or unpopular this is but i have read a bunch of things online where they say that you should not put anything or too much in pre-commit hooks. Uh, and pre-commit hooks, for those who don't know, are basically um, when you check anything or you commit, like git commit something, or like a file, it runs some code, for example, like linting or testing to make sure that every commit going into the library or the git history is valid. Uh, you're not allowed to check in invalid code. And I struggled with that for a while. I tried it out because the one of the things that I always forget to do, I always forget to do, is I forget to run, uh, run linting and prettier. Right? Uh, prettier is fine because it never blocks, but linting is a pain. Uh, and then I don't run a test suite, but I could, uh, and it's it's a form of linting or testing. And I struggled with this recently, especially this week, where I lost an hour trying to commit to Git because I couldn't get my <laughs> my linting correct. And 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 at the end of the day, I the only way I could do it was I could I disabled ESLint. <laughs> I committed it. <laughs> I just got it up there and I said, "Do not merge this until I fix the linting thing." But it was so annoying and it was so productivity destroying. And I think it was good for me because. I struggled with it now rather than later. So, so you 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 couldn't commit because your lint wouldn't pass, so you couldn't push. Is that yes. is that correct? And I was I was trying to I was trying to get be done what with my day. To... I was it was like at six p.m. I was like shit. Like you know I, I'm I want to want to want to leave uh, and, and go go do my own personal stuff. Um, so I was frustrated that whole hour. I was just like, oh my god, this linting and TypeScript uh, combination doesn't work. I was doing a mono repo setup, all the sorts of complexities, right? And I, I, you know, I, I was I was complaining in, in my company Slack. I was like, "Why do we have this stupid pre-commit hook? Who did it?" And a coworker reminded me that I put it in. <laughs> I really had that classic like Git blame. Who is this? You. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I thought your unpopular opinion was that the hooks are good, but you've just spent five minutes explaining why they're He's terrible. Saying they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, te- the experience was terrible, but I think it's the right move for the long-term health of the project. I, I mean, I would agree with that. My 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 beef with uh, pre-commit hooks is that you can't check in the hooks themselves. I mean, you can. There's like ways to do it, but like they're in a they're in the the .dot git folder, which means they're not part of the repo. And I've never understood why that's the case. 
Yeah. Can someone explain it to me like I'm five? I think it's just git. I think I think it's a belief of of, of Linus that you know pre-commit hooks are, are a personal thing rather than a team no, no. thing. Something. Well, I mean, something the standard way lines. to do it in JavaScript is using Husky, which does commit it. Yeah. So that's what I mean. I that do, just yeah. moves it out into a separate folder that you can check in. Yeah. But that's like a, a whole new moving but, part. So so so. Ah, oh, but it, it is. But actually, it's quite. It kind of gets out of the way, Husky. I really, I, I was resistant to installing it, but I, I also use it for for linting and everything, and it's it's really good because just make sure you always run lint, and I don't get broken builds on CI. But Sean, are you using yeah, Husky? Then did you say uh, the new one, not the? You could just do dash 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 yes, no dash verify. You can skip the hook. That just kicks the can down oh. the road. And imagine yeah, if you merge the point. Right? Imagine if you merge right. that in. Okay, the okay, next okay. guy coming along trying to run their linting is going to have their day ruined for, for something that's not their fault. <laughs> right. So, so basically, you wanted to disable it so that it was disabled within the PR. I think then... so. I, I, I reserve the right to change my mind. Okay. Uh, because like there is a, there's a real sense of lost productivity that just came out of nowhere just because like I, you know, I'm just trying to get commit, like this should be a modular Unix philosophy, small contained thing. And suddenly I'm running in my entire, my entire test suite or my linting suite. And maybe that's not his job. So I don't know. Fair enough. Cool. All right. Um, I don't have an unpopular opinion. Rich, do you, <laughs> do you have one? I, I, I do. <laughs> um, there are too many programming podcasts. Oh no! <laughs> I, oh, I, I not enough salt ones. Not enough salt ones. I thought I was, I was, I was really may as well lean into the unpopular aspect of this. Present company excluded, of course. I, I, I will always listen to, um, to anything that has Kevin's ASMR voice. But, uh, <laughs> but in, in general, like I, I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter and like everyone's been on this podcast and that podcast and like I, I am never going to be able to listen to a fraction of these. I am actually kind of bewildered by just how many podcasts there are. They're all sponsored. It's, it, it's, it's bewildering to me. So my unpopular opinion is that there's just, just too damn many programming podcasts. I could, I'll tell you one <laughs> thing um, that that I'm being pushed to do. Now, me and my CEO, in fact, my uh, my co-founder, more podcasts or be appear on the podcast because of two reasons. One, it's good to be seen as a thought influencer uh, in terms of funding circles. And the other one is because backlinks that you'll get from a podcast to your website are very powerful, especially if the site is well-respected, the podcast is well-respected. So actually, there may be a reason why people just try and get on every podcast possible. No, he's talking I mean, about I'm hosting. I'm not talking so much about... It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's like the number of podcasts oh. to go on rather than like the, the going on the podcasts. Like I, I would be deeply hypocritical. Um, right, right, right. Uh, otherwise, because like, I've been on <laughs> more than my fair share of podcasts. God knows why. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why I get invited on these things. Cause I, I just say the same things every time. But the, the fact that there is so many podcasts to go on is, is, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just confused by it. It kind of exploded yeah. the whole po podcasting scene. Probably it's probably not just programming podcasts, right? It's probably podcasts of every, every genre. But it's kind of gone in waves, hasn't it? Because podcasts were really popular like tens of years ago when they first came out. And uh, I can't remember how you subscribed to them or whatever then back then. And I thought that's interesting and then ignored it. And then probably like four years ago, five years ago, suddenly there's a massive explosion again. Yeah. Yeah. The, the resurgence was uh, actually also because of the New York Times, I think, or maybe NPR, because um, of Serial. Um, oh, really? And 
people trace that to the modern resurgence of podcasts. As as someone who's who's uh, recently started one, um, <laughs> is, I could is it a programming podcast? Uh, kind of. Um, <laughs> it basically unintentionally started because I had a chat with Sunil Pai scheduled. Uh, we we were just catching up over COVID, and he was like, "Why not record this?" Or um, and I said, yeah, sure. Uh, and I released it on YouTube and it went, went over really well. So I'm just kind of carrying on with it. Um, it's a really nice way to get uh, long form conversations about uh, tech, which like imagine if you're working in like, you know, a medium sized company, everyone's kind of heads down on, on, on tech stuff. You don't have any social friends to talk about programming with. This is a way to plug into that cent- center circle of technology where like, you know, people making the thing that you never get a chance to talk to, you get to hear from them. I can see that as a, as a very strongly appealing thing. I've been in a, in a situation before where um, I didn't know anyone and this is the only way to, to get to know people. And so uh, any port in a storm and I think podcasts uh, enable the human side of technology. So that's, uh, that's, yeah, my, I, that's my I pitch. listened to that conversation and I did enjoy it. I, I, I will always enjoy listening to the conversations that are happening like between people that I know particularly or, or like people in the industry that I look up to. Um, and so I, I do appreciate that podcasting has made those conversations so much more accessible. Yeah. Rich, who in the industry do you look up to? That's an interesting <laughs> point. No, it's, I'm interested. I mean, I'm in Jamie. Uh, wow. Um, I, Oh God, I, I, I kind of don't want to start listing names because, um, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to non exclude yeah. non-exhaustive, uh, you know, no particular order, uh, yeah. I, so I, like, I think like to get in your head. Someone I can, I think some of the, some of the people yeah. that, uh, I'm, I'm most interested in hearing from are the people who have opinions that I often don't agree with. Like Brian LaRue is a good example of, of someone who <laughs> like, I, I, I frequently like disagree with him, but he's um, he's so experienced and so articulate about um, about his opinions that I find him like an interesting source. Um, although I, I don't know if he does a whole lot of podcasting, but um, I, I think that to me is the value of, um, of the medium is that you when you're listening to someone talk over a period of time um, about their opinions. It's much easier to sort of get into the nuance than um, than when you're consuming via blog posts and, and tweets and things, which are so sort of edited down um, that all of the good stuff is squeezed out of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I particularly like like the longer form uh, format of podcasts. Like, I don't know the like the Lex Friedman podcast is pretty good. It's like two three hour episodes. With just interesting people, yeah. Something I something I really have come to subscribe to is that there there is too much content online, you know. But uh, people hunger for quality, and they will sit down and listen to a three hour podcast if it's good. Um, and you have to you have to capture their attention, and you have to make sure that you know you're you're authentically exploring something that's uh, genuinely interesting to you and, and to the audience. Um, and uh, a lot of a lot of podcasters, a lot of content creators, they start out just kind of doing more of the same, and sometimes um, that just doesn't make a dent. Um, so I, I really like um, what people. What the, I forget who I'm quoting, but the, the guy who, who pointed this out was that was like, yeah, like people will sit down and read like a 17 page 
article or blog post on Elon Musk uh, written by uh, Wait But Why. And that's just because he's very good at explaining things. And uh, But they don't have time for your three-paragraph blog post because it didn't make a, make a point. So um, I don't know. It, 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 there's a, there's a long, there's a, there's a very high peak and a long tail. <laughs> All right. Um, picks? Picks. I'll, I'll go first since I didn't have a, an opinion. So the new MacBook Pros, they're amazing. Did you, uh, how long have you had um, one? So I got mine, I think last Friday, uh, yeah, last week. Ooh. Um, Anthony's, Anthony's it showing uh, his nice. unpacked, or not unpacked, <laughs> still in the box. Or is, that, or is that the wife? Still in the box. No, it's staying unpacked. Yeah. Well, it's why? in the box, it's staying there. <laughs> uh, it's not for me, Aww. it's for an employee. We should get one yourself. <laughs> I, I really want M1, but I need Linux to work That's on it right. first. That's true. Like, That's like true. fully okay. reusable. Well, <laughs> it's, it's very nice. Uh, instead of like heating up and sounding like a jet turbine, it's... It's actually quiet. I'm actually doing this now, and it's quiet. If I use my like 2019 16 inch one, it, w- it would just like mm. it would heat up heat up the room. It would yeah, all sorts of terrible <laughs> stuff. So it's very nice. I, I can definitely recommend it. They're expensive though, which kind of sucks. Um, but I, I think it's worth it for for like the productivity gain. Rich, do you have one? I guess I you're getting one. one. Yeah. yeah, so um, the the way that the cell works is they don't give you a company laptop. They they have like a, a gear allowance. Budget. Um, yeah. yeah, and you're expected to mm. to choose your own laptop. And I went for the I went for the M1 Max, 16 inch. Uh, should arrive yeah. at the end of this month. I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Exciting. Yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're gonna like it. I, I started my job in February, so I have like just about the <laughs> the last one before the MagSafe, oh. before the physical button keys, uh, before yeah. the better processor. Uh, but our, our CTO at our last um, all, all hands uh, just mentioned that hey, uh, no one no one buy anything. Uh, we're working on a policy, and I think they're gonna we're gonna do what Shopify did, which they, Shopify bought every engineer a new Mac. Because the calculated gains, like you spend, you know, a couple thousands on a new machine, but you you hopefully gain in productivity and in for, for people doing like really compute intensive stuff, I think it matters a lot. Also, it matters for morale. I, I don't know if you saw Jared Palmer did a um, a calculator for like how quickly you will recoup the cost of a new laptop. He did a calculator. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I read this one. Nice. Yeah, I kind of like the 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 thing that you can you can get a like a top line spec into 14 inch you can really do that before so if you like like a smaller form factor yeah. that's easier to carry around it's you can still yeah. get like that powerhouse uh of a yeah machine. we 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 got funding just before the new max came out so we ordered i ordered m1s for everybody so about 20 m1s um a bunch of airs for like business type people and a bunch of uh the pros for for developers just because they have different requirements I mean, I'm not a Mac user myself, but I can probably have a fairly good stab at fixing some problem on a Mac, whereas on Windows, I just couldn't. So, uh, yeah, you know, I would love to give a budget people and say, buy your own stuff, but I'm a bit fearful of maybe having to debug things on platforms I don't really know. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, next up, Anthony, what's this? <laughs> right, so this is this is like a pick and a and a controversial opinion uh, opinion because it's about cryptocurrency and i know we have two people who will vehemently disagree with me on on this uh, this sort of stuff but if you, if at february 2019 you had more than uh i think it's 14 followers on github 
at, at the time when they, they launched this, you were due about one uh, four thousand pounds worth of uh, sorry four thousand dollars worth of wow. handshake token. It's now currently sitting at about two thousand dollars worth, I think, of this podcast time. But basically, you basically sign a, a payload with your with your private key. You put your public key. You'll get public key. It notices you had these folds at that time, and then it grants you the tokens to your wallet. So you just basically get two grand for free, which I think is all right. You know, what world are we living in? But can, can, what can is I, this? What world can I take in? that two thousand dollars and spend it on something <laughs> that I want? Yeah, you can just swap it for for, for dollars for the actual. Only I think Rich is about to do this for the first point. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rich is going to do it. He's going to. I'm going to. I'm going to steal some yeah, all, all, all of these things that I've, I've seen in the past, like yeah, you get some free crypto. Then what? <laughs> well, yeah, it's not real yeah, unless it changes it's, hands. It's all so, so yeah, and it changes hands. So that's the point he's making. Well, the the one thing about this token is um, you can use an exchange wallet as your as your airdrop location. So it goes straight to an exchange. You immediately click trade, trade it all for dollars, and take it out as cash into your bank account. So it's uh, pretty straightforward if you want if you just want the money. Is Rich a good, is Rich about to get into crypto? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, da, da. <laughs> I can see. We can see his decision. His decision face now. How many? He's, he's Anthony, how many, how many trees do you burn there. when you do this? Well, so I think, and I'm not 100 sure, but I think handshake is one of these ones that's not proof of work. I think it's a proof of stake, but I could be wrong on that. I just remember that, reading that matters. about it. I'm, I'm <laughs> obviously like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty like anti-tree burning and stuff, but. I'm also pretty pro cryptocurrency, so I will I will fully admit to owning a lot of tokens from that the are handshake proof of work. FAQ page. And uh, I just hope does this, this promote proofs. carbon emissions? Handshake uses uh-huh. proof of work mining as it is currently the most reliable way to do compact light oh. proofs. So yes, I, I will not be claiming my two thousand dollars of monopoly money. <laughs> <laughs> well, too many trees. You know, that, that's just just the evidence of proof of work doesn't mean that it's super inefficient. There are probably more efficient ways to do it than Bitcoin does. No. But uh, we, that's a different discussion. But the point is the proof of. Let's yeah, not do this. Please. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> free currency if you don't mind. Uh, the end of the planet. Uh, moving on. <laughs> um, yeah. So this was uh, this is a project on Hacker News that I found. I'm not a f- big font guy. I don't like fancy ligatures. I just go with like whatever Westboss set up when I was learning to code. And that's been my <laughs> setups ever since then. And, <laughs> and so I've never figured myself for a font guy until I came across this project, codingfont.com. And it basically just gives you like a hot or not, like a, like a mashup between like 30 something different fonts. And you just choose left, right, left, right, left, right until you pick the top one. And mine was Azuray Pro, which I never thought I had an opinion on. So uh, it's a nice way to discover a new font that you may really enjoy. Hmm. Cool. Nice little pick there. All right. Oh, I mean, it, sh- yeah. it showed me fire a code straight away, and I blooming love that font. So that was it. That was easy. No I, I actually <laughs> like these, these little utilities. They're very self-contained, and you discover something about yourself. All right. Last pick. Do you have one, Rich? Soup. <laughs> I what what kind of soup? Just like, like soup in general. To eat, because um, you know, working from home, making food a lot more, and um, particularly now that it's it's full. Uh, I I've, I've just recently got on the soup train because it, it's so easy to make like a good batch of soup, and it's something that's 
like it tastes great it's very nutritious and you get like multiple meals out of it and it's really easy to make to make the soup as well if you have like the immersion blender or whatever um what, so what my, is this I'm my, sorry. What, immersion, what is an immersion blender it's the one where it's like, um like it's a handheld thing like so you have like your dutch oven or whatever with all of your ingredients and then you put that in and like whisk it around sort of and then it, it blends everything in the pot rather huh. than you having to take the ingredients and put them in a blender which never works because like you've got more ingredients than will fit in the blender and it just makes a huge mess and you've got all of this stuff ah. to clean the immersion blender is, is, is much like more a, convenient oh uh, you're immersing in a pot it's like a blender on a stick oh. yeah cool it's pretty nice yeah nice i like food picks i'm the only one that pick pick food until now that's nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like food pick i think that's that's it any any last uh last thoughts or other things to say go no. team all right. i mean you cool. know we're yeah. uh, i i feel like we're all slowly being dragged into this felt uh universe like even rich going full-time kevin is kind of full-time now uh anthony has always been building with felt and and i i didn't have a svelte project until i got to my current company and we decided on svelte for our app and i think it's just interesting to see the adoption i think if you go back like a year in this podcast archives maybe like there there'll be a huge contrast that you don't see day to day but in the course of a year it's a it's a lot of movement for sure yeah thanks for coming on great thanks having me we always enjoy your company um and see you all at svelte summit i guess see you there yeah bye, bye. see you then. Take care. bye bye